0: Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass And hey, what's it gonna do? It doesn't matter how you're doing Woo! We'll Living in life! jet flying. Can you dig it, dig it, sucker? Would you please Shut the hell up! You don't know What hard times are, daddy The cream will rise to the top Oh yeah Oh yeah I do human rubble
1: school takeover of keep the kayfabe what up what up well once again we're taking a special journey here on keep the kayfabe this is show familiar steve with not so special guest anymore sort of as you know he's a regular in his own right gary and we're going to take another one of our trips down memory lane today um the year is 1980 and um some people were believing in miracles because of the Olympics. Um, Kenny Rogers was dazzling the nation with Lady.
0: Great song. Uh, great song. Great song. Great song. Still to this day.
1: Yeah. Um, some of our personal favorite movies of all time were and the charts uh, Airplane, Flash Gordon, Empire Strikes Back. Um, there was uh, the big question of who shot Jr., which got, mm. I think, at the time, like probably almost Super Bowl uh, numbers and in, in attendance or yes. uh, audience. Um, can yeah.
0: you imagine? Can you imagine that today, like Ace, basically a drama having more viewers than the Super Bowl, right? I right. Mean, it was that.
1: Yeah, it was like the same. I mean, it was like roughly around that same era too. That like M.A.S.H. Yeah. MASH had like one of the it biggest did. finales ever and it was like yeah. massive numbers. I mean, but yeah, that's things you don't see nowadays in the sort of homogenized uh, cable landscape. But uh, yeah.
0: I love that we're doing um we're gonna start to do this, Steve. Like I it's a it's just a really cool kind of like trip down, not only trip down memory lane, but it's it's our childhood. I mean, what were we I we I think it was kindergarten year. It had to be. We were we were, yeah, six, for, so we're first
1: grade, yeah. We were first grade yeah, somewhere, yeah, somewhere in there yeah.
0: and you know, maybe we weren't necessarily as aware of wrestling, but I know in the next couple of years we became big wrestling fans. Um, And, you know, the 1980s was, you know, is still to this day for me, one of the great, it has to be one of the greatest generations. I mean, there's lots of arguments about the attitude error, et cetera, but the eighties were really, really solid wrestling. And, um, and I still like, um, I, I still watch it on, the on Peacock or on YouTube, like I'll still go back. And so I think, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna try to tackle every one of these years for the next couple, uh, episodes for, for the fans out there. And I think, and I hope that they enjoy the trip that we, that we're going to take them on because we, I loved the research. I mean, what did you think when you were researching? Oh my gosh.
1: Well, it's funny. It's like, it's like when we challenged ourselves to speak for an hour about like Lanny Poff or whatever, yeah. like, we could spend multiple episodes talking about one year in wrestling. Like yes. we did a bunch of research and we're going to pick a couple highlights for like this episode, but we could, like, we had to be real selective. That's how many things happened this year. So just we imagine did. that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and, and just to set the table for the viewers, like, or the listeners, viewers, whatever, whoever we've got out there that's Theater paying the attention minds. the the minds that are out there. Uh, You know, 1980 is still the height of the territory era and television is just is still, you know, coming into its own cable TV is in its real, real super infancy, if anything. I know my family was a late a bloomer to cable TV I think yours was a little bit more advanced than ours we had
1: we had a product called select TV which yeah. uh, was like a precursor to Time Warner and all these other things yes. know about. but I don't even remember when that was it was probably early 80s but yeah it was like I felt like we were like early adopters
0: yeah so I mean like whatever wrestling you caught you caught because you caught it at the right time there was no such thing as taping it for later or DVRing it like you literally had to like Sit and wait, and and had yeah. those shows that were at regular times, right? And and the viewership was, you know, in places like Memphis or uh, the WWF shows, or or even the AWA shows. Those were just iconic time slots in these major cities, and people literally like stopped everything they were doing so they could watch wrestling at those times.
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly if it was in or before or after 1980, but I do. My earliest wrestling memories were watching the AWA because mm-hmm. Gary and I, Gary and I are both from the Midwest. Grew up uh, Sunday mornings watching yeah AWA wrestling with my dad. That is my earliest memories of wrestling. So yeah, around my, this era.
0: Same, same here. Mine too. I think it was not until later in the 80s, and, and you know the other association that for me in the 80s that was super super um, easy for me to remember was world class because for what because their syndication was off the charts and it was so unique it was always 10 30 at night on channel 18 and everyone would be asleep and i would do everything i could to stay up because i wanted to catch world class wrestling out of texas even though You know there was wrestling around me but you know to some degree it wasn't as it wasn't as easy for me to see and so i got totally into that and even to this day going back on peacock i love watching world class because it just reminds me of my childhood of those great days of wrestling
1: it's pretty great um yeah and i mean we keep we keep teasing it but yeah 1980s and it was i mean in many ways, a pivotal year in wrestling. Um, Yeah. The the territory era was still going and there's still, Mm -hmm. you know, still, you know, examples we'll talk about where it was still going strong, but maybe a little cracks in the foundation or or comings and goings, you know, some, some players falling down and then others sucking into the vacuum. And it's just, it's an interesting, there's like power struggles going on at this point in time. And the, the, the pieces, the chess pieces are being put in place for the next era of wrestling.
0: It is as a, as a, as a wrestling historian nerd that I am as well as you are. Um, it, it was so fun to do research on the full year and then look back and then think forward to what happened. And you can totally see these different pieces, um, just jostling around. And at the time you're reading this, there's, it was so innocent, but yet you think like, This moment was the beginning of a domino of lots of other things that happened, and you know the and the characters emerged, and then over time, you know, it just completely went in a totally different direction. So I can't wait to start to talk about it. So where do we want to start? Where do you want to? I
1: mean, you know, this is almost like a clash of the titans. And it's uh, uh, maybe we can start start with some titans here and like some, yes some, a big moment or two that happened this year related to the WWF
0: yeah so I would say um, and correct me if I'm wrong but I would say there was for me there were four like pivotal things that happened store you know one storyline that started very early in January and basically and you want to talk about storytelling like this this angle just. Brewed all the way through most of 1980, was what appeared to be like mentor versus mentee between Larry Zabisco and Bruno Sammartino.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And so, like, you know, you, it started very innocently in January where, you know, Larry Zabisco uh, challenges his mentor, and his mentor is kind of like, you know, he's, he's not, he wasn't really having it, you know, at the time Um, it was a cool start to the story because then it irritated Sabisco. And then there was a, you know, these little nuggets every month or so that got kind of planted out there as that story unfolded.
1: Oh, exactly. I know. It's just like, yeah, patient storytelling, but like, um, well, it's, it's such a relatable story to anybody. Absolutely. It's like, you know, the, the sage uh, mentor, and he's like, you know, he's real reluctant. The other guy wants to kind of prove himself. And, you know, Bruno has the best of intentions, but Larry gets jealous. He gets jealous eyes in the words yeah. of the macho man. <laughs> right. And uh, it just it just snowballs from there into like a pretty epic moment when it finally blows up.
0: It does. Yeah. And and basically, like, I mean, you you see it, you know, crescendoing basically um, in in August. So basically um, the the whole kind of story comes to this culmination uh, finally in August in front of 36,000 people in Shea Stadium where San Martino and Larry Zabisco have this uh, you know infamous cage match. And um, what was also interesting about that, Steve, was the, the reason they had to go to Shea Stadium as opposed to MSG, which by the way, every one of their house shows, when you look in January, February, March, April, 20,000 or more. I mean, like you're talking off the charts. House, ha- yeah. house shows like 20,000, no bones about it. Um, but it, it was interesting is the uh, Democratic uh, National Convention uh, was in New York City in July and August. And so they were out of they couldn't use MSG because yeah. it was being used by the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. And so Yeah. The irony of the whole thing is that you know, then it leads them to have to book Shea Stadium. So, you know, this this angle just was money. It was money. Uh, the way that they were able, and and again, you're right. Like the story of uh, the mentor turning on the mentee. You know, I mean, it's all Star Wars. You name it, right? Like they're yeah. all about those same yeah, exactly. types of it's stories, right? True. Which is still powerful today and was told just so brilliantly in 1980 by the WWF between these two these two Pittsburgh natives
1: right and then you know i mean the match itself was pretty epic because it's like it's the classic they're Train, you know, going back and forth, back and forth. And then Zabisco starts getting frustrated because he can't master the master. And yeah. then the frustration builds, 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 builds. And then, um, then he snaps. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Wrestling was a different era. I mean, this was an era when like, you know, old ladies would hit wrestlers with their purses yeah. and stuff. And I mean, like, I just think now it's like if you or I, I'm trying to think of an example. Like if they had the mentor versus the mentee, uh, you'd see the turn a mile away but right, I, don't know. Right, right. I don't know how many, I don't know how many people in that crowd are waiting for it, but it certainly came across as a huge outrage and like, like, Oh Absolutely. my God. Yeah. So like, it's I can't like,
0: believe that what he did, I just, and, you know,
1: I, I, part of me misses that innocence in wrestling. Cause it's like now with yeah. the internet and everything. It's like, you see everything coming and you think uh, yeah. we, pride our, we pride ourselves in predicting crap. Oh, it was
0: like, Steve, yeah. it was such, those stories were so emotional because you, you, I mean, kayfabe was real. It was a yeah. real thing The the very thing the show is named after keep the kayfabe. It's and, you know, and I know that you and the gang have a have a, you know, a reason for why. But, you, you know, for me, when you when I hear that, you know, keep the kayfabe, it's like keep that innocence alive about wrestling, because, you know, this angle of uh was you know, when Zabisco finally turns, it's it it comes out of nowhere, and people are just it's the same thing. Um, and we can you know just sidebar for a second. It was the same storyline running parallel with the NWA and Oli and Arn Oli Anderson and Dusty Rhodes. Dusty like Rhodes they were the same thing, yep. they were yeah. they were friends, and then all of a sudden, um Oli and Gene Anderson turn on Dusty and it's this huge combustion. Um, it was in the Omni and this was also the era of the loser leave town matches, which is, was real because they, they would literally leave town. Now, now little did they know they would just go to the next town over. Oh, I mean, literally, yeah. <laughs> literally, but I mean, it, you know, there were multiple loser leave town matches that were in and woven in throughout 1980 and and honestly, you didn't know, like right, they were gone.
1: Yeah. Now it's like, you just like that same night, you'd, you'd be like, oh, they went to this, you know, like, cause everything's connected back then. We didn't have places to go. Maybe, you you know, wait until next month to get a magazine that tells you some stuff. Right, but yeah.
0: Right. What did, what a what a this the class and, and, you know, not to belabor too much on the NWA. Cause I know we've got a couple other things of the WWF we want to talk about, but you know, this was also the moment of dusty roads turning into and i quote Yavaldi slim which <laughs> when you so he loses the loser leave town match and has and goes under a mask with this moniker now you and i know that much later in the 80s one of the one of our favorite
1: yeah, by absolutely. far
0: our absolute favorite um uh, gimmicks was the midnight rider right but this was the first time he did it and steve when you see those pictures online it is absolutely embarrassing. Like how bad the mask, it's like a cloth mask with barely the eyes open and, I mean, it, he is obvious it is Dusty Rhodes, right? Oh, I know
1: It's not like he had, like, you know, a dime a dozen, like, physique either. It's yeah. like you can see him from a mile away.
0: And, and that's the thing, like, of all people, like, you know, later in the 80s when the machines and Andre, I mean, Andre was, you know, but when the machines were around and they kind of did that shtick or the, the, even the killer bees, to be honest with you, even when they switched masks, it was a little bit more difficult. Because their body didn't. types were similar, yeah. yeah. But when Dusty Rhodes puts on a mask and says um you've <laughs> all slim like yeah no not a chance He's <laughs> just, but it's so classic 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 storytelling that it's just oh, it's I hard not to favorite. be it's hard not to laugh and it's hard not to get into it back to the wwf here's yeah. another thing too and i don't know if um our listeners um caught the hogan andre which, by the way, the A&E uh, special on Rivals between Hogan and Andre was absolutely excellent. And it actually talked a lot about the 1980, um, where Hogan and Andre actually started their feud. Like, that was when they started doing—so Hogan is a bad guy. Andre is a uh, an unbelievably over babyface. And he and Hogan begin a feud, in essence. Um, and a lot of it was— Based on the fact that Hogan was so green and needed to have someone literally kind of, you know, work him through. And so, uh, and again, this is where Shea Stadium comes into play because there's classic match between Hogan and Andre. And it's, and and how about this now? (laughs) Here's the controversy. The controversy was that they said that when Andre went to pin Hogan, that classy Freddie Blassie. Hogan's manager said that uh, that Hogan kicked out before the three count. And even though Andre won, they demanded, they demanded that they have a rematch after the August or after the Shea stadium show. And so, um, and, and then that's when Hogan slams Andre for the first time. So if you remember the classic, uh, WrestleMania three match, the very, very, first thing they do what was one of the first things they did in that match they replicated oh. that which was
1: oh, kick hogan yeah, yeah, falls on
0: yeah. andre and hogan kind of yeah. yes hogan kind of gets up and but it was started in in the shea stadium one and in it it was how that match ended which created all this controversy but uh i had no idea but then when you think about WrestleMania three, right? In the very first couple of minutes, Andre comes down on Hogan, Hogan, kind of barely Joey Morella. looks like he hits three, but it's not. And that, that part of that story was linked together later on. How about that?
1: it's pretty great that they did that link, but they ignored the slam, you know, and like it, <laughs> yeah, WrestleMania so three was the first time he slammed them. Yeah. <laughs> uh no. But I love it. That's that's yeah.
0: selective. Selective. Yeah, it's very selective. And so um, but yeah, so that was a big thing. And then I you know I, I want to just make sure we, we talk about two other things. Well, one is in February of 1980, that is when Titan sports was first formed. And so everyone today knows that as the entity by which McMahon, uh, junior and Linda McMahon did sport. They started doing, uh, bookings for sport and it was beyond wrestling. Like they were doing, you know, other things. And, um, and so, but it's interesting because in 1980, you know, and I, I know you caught this as well. When you, when we were just looking at all the different shows from January, all the way through December, so often there was crossover, you know, Harley race, the NWA champion would be in territories and then Bob Backlund, the WWF champion would show up and Ken Patera actually held multiple belts intercontinental. And then he also held titles in the NWA and over in Kansas city. So, there was all this crossover that was still happening and they were being, they were all playing nice in the sandbox, so to speak. And so it's interesting that this was the year when that seed of Titan sports gets planted.
1: Yeah. Cause then once Vince starts running, like you don't see those crossover like that, but yeah, you're still right. seeing them full blown. Yeah. Bob Backlund and Harley race wrestling. I mean, these are things that, I mean, if you, if you didn't catch that early era and you, like, say you grew up watching, like, the heyday of Hulk Hogan and the WWF, you just didn't, I mean, at least on the WWF level, mm-hmm. you rarely ever heard, I mean, maybe they do things in Japan, but they wouldn't do things across territories no. much at all.
0: No, and, um, that it became completely separated at that point. Yeah.
1: And or, well, you know, guy, guys would the, show up in the WWF that yes. were, like, well-known names that they would repackage. And it's completely, just,
0: yeah, yes. Yeah. And that was not happening in 1980. So, no. you know, thinking back to 1980, if a, got, if a wrestler uh, left an organization, they they were them. They didn't change their names. They didn't right. change their gimmicks. They didn't do any. I mean, they literally were, they just arrived. And... And more often than not, Steve, um, and you will know, you know, this as well, that they they came in with cachet like, oh, this is so and so who came from this territory and he was their champion or he was this. And like people were I mean, they built yeah. these characters up.
1: Well, it's like but it they didn't try. To change. Yeah. It. Yeah it's like you don't have to have the guy go through so many squash matches to build a, re- you know, oh, this guy's for real. Like you, you could kind of leverage the history and like, yeah, that, yeah. But then, I mean, yeah, like, like we said later on, WWE would just embrace that and just be like, yeah. Yeah. yeah never mind that this is Barry Windham. Yeah. who's was like one right. of the all time greats. He's now yeah. the widow maker. Like, right. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's crazy, not,
0: but not at, yeah. not at an, 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 And so I, I think at least for the WWF for 1980, there's two other things I think. It's worth talking about. So in October, so this was kind of um nearing the the ending height ish of you know, because Bruno San Martino had been on te- he was he was a television personality as well, right? And so he kind of got thrust into this situation with Zabisco in back into the ring because Zabisco kind of egged him on and did did that angle. Well, a guy by the name of Pat Patterson is now coming at the twilight of his career and it is at this time in October of 1980 where Pat Patterson now becomes the color commentator a Vince McMahon Jr is the television host and they introduce a man by the name of Howie Finkel who does audio news of events on the show so oh my gosh you think about at that time I'm like I read that and I thought holy cow like w- the dawning of an era right of right iconic figures in WWF wrestling but in wrestling in general of Vince and his whole shtick as a TV commentator and that whole kayfabe of him not owning the place but just being there Pat Patterson and his brilliance that just that's the beginning of his work off 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 stage, so to speak, in the back, and Howard Finkel, who is there's no way you can't say he's what the most iconic ring announcer in wrestling history.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, we talked about him in the previous episode, and just like yeah. yeah, it's wow. And this like this the simple beginnings there.
0: <laughs> it is, and there's one more thing that happened, which I think is worth noting, which is, it is in 1980 um, that. A a great by the name of Gorilla Monsoon uh, does performs his final match in the ring and uh, who pins him? It's on September 20th of 1980 in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hulk Hogan pins Gorilla Monsoon, and that is the very last time that Gorilla wrestles in a wrestling ring. And they have an official retirement ceremony in October of 1980, which I'm, we're foreshadowing because now Gorilla is going to do some other things. Right. And we know that, yeah, we know he gets into uh, Mm -hmm. TV commentating, but we also know he is an investor in Puerto Rican wrestling.
1: Which we could do multiple shows on we could. <laughs> the ups and downs, the highlights and lowlights of Puerto Rican wrestling, but a huge territory or yeah, I guess territory is the best word for it. But yeah, yeah interesting. So no, the gorilla, end- man, talk about another voice of our of our yeah. childhood. I mean, the Gorilla Bobby dynamic. Like I don't oh. I must not have been watching WWF at this point in time or earlier because I don't ever remember seeing um, Gorilla Wrestle. Like, I only remember Me either. As, as the is as the great announcer. So, um, yes. yeah, this was the transition. It, right and here. it will
0: be interesting as we start to go into 81, 82 and 83 and other episodes where we'll see when he makes that official transition. But it right. was worth noting that this was that this was it. Right. And so, and it's no wonder that you and I, I mean, we're still over first grade kindergarten. We wouldn't have paid attention to it at that point, but it is fascinating to then now know kind of in just a couple more years, he's going to become this iconic voice, um, you know, for wrestling. So, so to kind of wrap up 80, you know, um, you know, Bob Backlund champion, um, he's one of the wrestlers of the year uh, for the WWF uh, the San Martino's abysical feud is is actually labeled as one of the feuds of the year uh, in uh, in the and uh, w- what's also interesting is all the all the wrestling of the year um, awards that were given yeah. out and they actually meant something like they really meant something because there was like wrestling observer there was pro wrestling illustrated there's all of these magazines that were Huge. I mean, they were the, you know, you want to talk about another trip down memory lane. And we're going to hopefully don't get sentimental about our friend, dear friend, John, who, you know, had passed away a few years ago. is was a very dear friend of Steve and I. And uh, we were friends starting in the kindergarten. 1979 is when we started our friendship.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but you remember we rode our bikes to the Cudahy Hobby Shop.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, there's a like um like I mean, it was literally like the name it's like you go in there you could buy models, you could buy yep. crafts.
0: But along had the back whole, wall,
1: entire wall of magazines and that's where we'd get our pro wrestling illustrated.
0: It would be yeah. so, all of the wrestling magazines were there and then yeah. that is where um, and my kids often ask me about this obsession with candy raisins, and only those of us from Wisconsin know what a candy raisin is, but that was one of my obsession for candy raisins. I would get candy raisins, and I would, I would, would, we would read the magazines, and every once in a while, we'd buy one, but not very
1: often. Yeah, yeah just, just get, it for, <laughs> get the info for free. Get the dirt.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's great. <laughs> well, um, I know that you you are a huge and old school NWA fan because you were the one that pretty much got me into it. So walk through, walk us through now, you know, let's, what was the world like over in Georgia and, and, in that, in that domain. And again, knowing that the NWA was beyond it, I mean, it was basically the, the overarching body for like, um, the Carolinas for, um, or the, uh, for Kansas city, for St. Louis, for even down into Dallas and Houston, that was still all under the NWA. In in fact, WWF was still for all intents and purposes, still under that umbrella as well. They just kind of happened to have their own personality, so to speak, but what was going on in there?
1: Well, I think, I mean, the larger than life figure, it it began and ended with Harley race. Um, he was the champion with one little hiccup along the way. He was the champion the whole year, but it's just interesting. I I spent some time kind of going through month by month of his mm-hmm. reign and you just see the names emerging that he wrestles, which we'll talk about in a bit, like, like some names like Ric Flair and that that are kind of on the up and up, but Harley's is the, uh, the champ and um, something that just like, I just, forgot like how often these dudes wrestled like i just had a conversation today with a friend who was talking about how many times roman reigns wrestled defended his title since the last wrestlemania and i don't remember i might be wildly off here but i want to say it was like he counted it to be about 20 defenses in the last year and then i was looking and like um harley race uh like a down month for him was like 11 defenses there was like one month that he had like i think almost like 19 or 13 like he was going crazy and then there was a trip to japan in there and stuff but yeah and then it's just interesting to see the names he started out a year off with like a pretty epic uh exchanges with like rick Mm martell who uh maybe later fans would remember as the model um but uh he had like a in some of these like these marathon matches like uh, hour long with David Von Erich. I also noted like what they kind of went to the well a lot with, with him was uh, he got beat by DQ a lot. Like a lot. he never a lot. got beat beat. Like there was rare occasions where he'd get beat. Like there was a non-title one in there somewhere, yes. but uh, yeah, like DQ or draws time limit draws with guys like David Von Erich, Rick Martel.
0: The other, the other, um, the other um, finish that they, that they were, it, the WWF coined this one often, which was uh stopped due to blood loss. Oh, yeah. Multiple times matches were stopped due to blood loss. And it's like, oh my gosh, like what would that he's, even look like?
1: Today? John Moxley would have no finished matches I know. now.
0: <laughs> I know, no kidding. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and and yet it was the DQ. So back in the day though, you have to remember, right? it was the dq that kept you coming back for more because right, that like that jerk face yeah. that jerk face got disqualified instead of losing the title and it was a big deal because he would come back the next month and they would get revenge or try to get revenge
1: well and you know the announcers would always do that trope where it'd be like you know the winner uh Rick Martel. And then they'd add the, and yeah. still champion. Yeah. <laughs> the oh front. yeah. Like, oh, that, that was not a satisfying because yeah, People
0: people yeah. would go ballistic when yeah. the, cause the referee would raise the hand of the, of the challenger and they would right. jump around and, and, and it's like, a second, Oh, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't still. change on a disqualification <laughs> or a count out.
1: No, but I mean, just some of the people that, like I said earlier, like went into, went in and out of Harley races orbit that year alone. Like he wrestled Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen. Um, he had these like build-up, like over as the year went on, he had these matches with Ric Flair. Um, a couple mm-hmm. of them that went to time limits or like Flair won by DQ. Um, I noticed like mid-year-ish or so, he kind of like Tommy Wildfire Wildfire Tommy Rich got his oh. like he got a couple DQ wins and it was almost like they were positioning, oh, could he be the guy? But then ultimately Harley beat him. But yeah. um, yeah, but then um come September. And uh, yeah, um, it's funny. Um, there was a trip to Japan and <laughs> yeah. Giant Baba. There's a bunch of tag team matches first of all. Then of course, like I think Harley, like they won, they lost some of them by DQ. But then Giant Baba won the title for a couple of days. Um, and then uh, Harley made sure he got it back before his trip back to the United States. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but that was yeah, kind it, of a thing back then. Like we were, t- it we was. talked about. Yeah. Where they yes. like do a flip like that, kind of under the radar. Like at least under the mainstream radio. Well,
0: it was not only was it under the radar because of the lack of communication devices and technology that we have today, but it was also under the radar of the bookers. And they didn't know what was happening because remember back then there was a booking committee across the country. There was a guy that was in charge of the NWA and he that singular point of contact, even though he took advice from all the board of directors, he made the decision on whether a, a title would change or not. And Harley Race was in business on his own when he'd go over to Japan. You know, they they, they said that Giant Baba One had three NWA reigns for a total of twenty days. So he won the oh championship gosh. three times, total twenty days, which basically is three weeks. So it was the beginning and the end of a week. And you know, at the time he was he was in a he, he was in a dogfight with Anoki in New Japan Pro Wrestling and. He was trying to find credibility. So he would literally, I mean, I know that I, I, I don't want to be quoted on this because I can't remember exact the dollar amount, but it was in the 20,000s that, that he paid Harley race to come over there, drop the strap to make him look good only to drop it later. Right. And then it would give them credibility. Race would come back to America. No one would know here or there. And then Baba could go around saying he was the former NWA champion and get credibility for his organization. I mean it, right. it, it's It's it brilliant huge, when you think yeah, about it. Right. But but think about the money that's being like under the table being had right there. And then the guys back home are like, What did you do? Like <laughs> you weren't supposed yeah, exactly. to do that. And what, what who's gonna stop Harley Race? <laughs> like, well, who's exactly. gonna stop that yeah. dude?
1: Exactly. No, but then I guess to tie like a little bow on Harley Race here, too. Like, I think it was September, October. Um he did, like we mentioned it earlier, he wrestled mm-hmm. WWF champion, Bob Acklin, who yep. beat him by DQ, of course, our favorite yep. uh, like method. And then they both went back to their uh, respective companies, still champion. But, uh,
0: yeah. But, yeah, yeah he was, wrestled. Yeah, it was ahead. September September 22nd in front of 20,000 people in MSG. Oof. Backlund yeah. beat Harley by DQ. And then, you know, about two months later in November um backland then went to st louis which is the area that harley's traditionally from and harley beat Backlund two out of three falls by disqualification he <laughs> so he got, got his he got,
1: he got his shine back as they say <laughs>
0: he did he yeah. got his shine back oh,
1: so yeah i mean i mean that's the main thing that i like really struck me about the nwa mm-hmm. is just like that just larger than life figure but again you're seeing the The other stars like trying to tap at that ceiling and try to get through like the Rick Flares and the Dusty Rhodes and um,
0: well, I mean, Tommy
1: Tommy Rich
0: and it's so
1: Ebony Diamond, a.k.a. AKA Rocky Johnson. I I mean,
0: yeah, one of the feuds of the year was Ray Stevens and Jimmy Snook. Like there was like the Iron Sheik, like I had no idea I was he went by the name of the great Hassan Arab.
1: Hassan Arab. Yeah, what a name.
0: And and I knew that he was trained by Vern Ganya, but he. Talk about just an unbelievably odd thing to read. He and Jim Brunzel were basically feuding over the NWA Mid Atlantic Championship for most of uh, 1980. It's like, what? Like Jim Brunzel yeah. and the Iron Sheik wrestling together, right? Right. Like, I never I mean, I, you know, I was like, I got to find a match or something because it's just so weird um, to think of the Iron Sheik in that way, because sadly, right, with the exception of him in those in the losing to Hogan, after that, he was almost exclusively a comedic character.
1: And tag team a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like with Nikolai Volkov. And yeah.
0: So it's hard. It was hard for me to even just wrap my brain around the fact that, and even Jimmy Snuka to some extent. I mean, they, that was like big deal. Like he, Oh yeah. He, they were wrestling some major feuds in, the in the, in the Carolina area for mid Atlantic. And, uh, you know, Flair Valentine that was huge Flair Valentine together against snuka and the Sheikh how about a ma- how about that match oh my gosh what would you have paid to see Rick Flair and Greg the Hammer Valentine against snuka and the Sheikh at their primes
1: right exactly and i mean like the the history between those indiv- individual people alone and then they all get in i mean yeah and it also spoke to like you could you could have a main event with a tag team match. Like even it WWE could. years years later, WrestleMania did that with like
0: absolutely like
1: H- Hogan and Mr. T and that. But it's like it's like nowadays, like it's very oh, rare. They're arguing
0: they about it on yeah. Busted Open every time, every day it seems like they're yeah. arguing. I can't even tell you how many podcasts I've listened to recently that are arguing over should a tag team main event WrestleMania. And in the 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 wild card in all of that, Steve, is the emergence of women's wrestling, because that was not prevalent. That was a, right. it was a sidebar in the 80s, but today there's big argument as to what kind of slap in the face will this be if they decide to have Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens against the Usos as a main event versus Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley as right. a yeah, you know, And there's a lot of debate going on right now as to that. But but you're right. Back then, that was a cool main event. Like, oh see like these two see that guys come together. That. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. So um, so I guess one other thing I want to ask you about with the NWA, though, is this was when Ric Flair started to emerge, wasn't it? I mean, it
1: sure seemed like it because, I mean, he's getting matches against the champ.
0: Yeah. And, and he wins yeah. the U.S. title. Right. Um and he goes back and forth with Greg Valentine. I mean, but this is his first foray into a run, right, of sorts, yeah. of getting some credibility, but he's not quite where he where he will be, right? He's yeah, still he's, yeah, exactly. He's still behind Harley Race. And 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 ironically, he's he's a f- fairly much a baby face through most of this. Would you not agree?
1: Yeah, I know he's certainly not the the larger than life needs a group to like back him. Like we're not even close to that era yet. So yeah, yeah he's just trying to scrap his way to the top more or yeah. less, and uh, with, with a little flamboyance. But yeah, um, yeah, it's weird. It's like, I mean, just further signs of how big this year was. It's like everybody knows the impact Ric Flair will have would have on wrestling.
0: Absolutely.
1: Decades to come, and this is sort of like a, I mean one of the one of the he was a mid carter yeah but it's like like the the next steps come in it's there yes because
0: because one of the one of the shoes that drop during this year is the balance of power in the nwa shifts because um the president at in the start of 1980 was bob geigel and he was based i believe in the kansas city st louis area and that is That then coincides with why a Kansas City St. Louis, um, you know, hero like Harley Race was the champion. Well, it's at the end of it's nearing the end of 1980. And Bob Geigel gets replaced by a guy by the name that of Jim Crockett Jr. And where is he based out of? South. Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Where is who based out of? Woohoo! (laughs) <laughs> is You know, so it's interesting to now look back and see kind of that posturing that occurred oh, and the yeah. realities that, you know, that the seat of the of the chairman of the N.W.A., the president of N.W.A., the balance of power was going to shift. And it's almost as if everybody knew it. And it, that was the that was the beginning, you know, of that. It
1: sure was. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess, you know, it It would be re- remiss of us in the 1980s to probably not talk about the other territories that were going on. So maybe we'll just kind of like, I don't know, between you and I, we can just kind of like hit some highlights of those territories. I mean, in essence, remember, you've got um, Portland, uh, you've got um, the the Texas wrestling, which was separated between Houston um, with us. Uh, Dallas and then the Blanchards over in San Antonio. Then you had the Carolina wrestling. You had Florida championship wrestling, which was a huge area. You had everything in the Northeast, which was WWWF. And then the AWA was concentrated in the middle. Midwest. Yep. And so, I mean, you know, there was really fun watching some of the AWA shows. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle was a champion, but oh, a of course, champ. okay, now, Again, and this is another kind of thing that I noticed, um, and I know we we talked about this, but uh, the summer months were huge for these large stadium shows. They they did them across the country in different associations. And so um, the AWA, of course, you know, Midwest, Upper Midwest does a Comiskey Park show uh, in July. And of course, who beats Bachwinkle for the title? Burn Ganya, yeah. It's like ah. Uh,
1: Vern just they kept going back to Vern. Just
0: yeah. could they just could not help themselves, could they? uh, no. It was just yeah, Uh, but you know, so the AWA is just kind of milling around now. Now, mind you, this is pre-Hogan AWA days. So Hogan oh, yeah. was a heel in with Vince Senior at the time, and then. I think we'll come to see, will foreshadow that the next most important trigger for him is this transition to the AWA, and then it begins that series of events over 81, 82, 83, and 84. So, Um, but yeah, the AWA, a lot of, you know, the same faces um, that we, that we, that we remembered from our childhood, Um, the Crusher and Nick Winkle. Um, Adrian Adonis and, um, and uh, Dino Bravo were wrestling a lot in the AWA at this time. Um, this also is when the East-West connection is formed between Adrian Adonis and Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse the
1: Body. That was a great tag team.
0: Yeah. So, and think think this was one I almost could not believe when I read this. But knowing the characters that we knew as, in the formative years of our wrestling lives, through January and February in the AWA, the, on most of the loops, Lord Alfred Hayes was wrestling Bobby Heenan.
1: Oh my gosh. And they go on like to be just like two of yes! them, like, the best announcers in WWF. And, I was. Like, they're having this feud as wrestlers still. Yeah.
0: Flabbergasted. I didn't even remember that.
1: No, I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: Completely flabbergasted at some of that stuff. Uh, but yeah. And then. Uh, you know, I think it's worth noting, too, that, you know, Portland wrestling was a was a pretty big deal um throughout the 80s. But 1980 was what I would think is going to be looked back on as a pretty pivotal year. Uh, the, the major players in Portland wrestling were the Sheep Herders, Roddy Piper and Playboy Buddy Rose. And mm-hmm. and it's in 1980 that. Roddy Piper loses a loser leave town match to Playboy Buddy body Rose at the same time that the sheep herders do as well. And both all three of them find their way across the country and end up in mid Atlantic and the Carolinas and having watched the uh, tale of the territories and knowing a little bit more about the Portland territory, that was a, it was a bigger deal than I think
1: Huge loss. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it was a much bigger deal than what might've on the surface seemed like a pretty innocent, like, Oh, they're just going to go to this because Roddy Piper from there. Absolutely skyrocketed. I mean, right. it's not, I would guess it wasn't, he was known, but I mean, again, you know, you're talking about Portland, Oregon in the 1980s. That seems so far away. Like we you know it was almost like another country to us, right, like that whole West oh, yeah, coast, we did,
1: yeah, no, we didn't hear much about anything going on no. over there, for example,
0: yeah, and so when when that happened, i think I think it was a bigger deal, and it was, and we know now later it was a big deal because it ended up really costing them a lot of money and ended up you know leading down the road to their demise later on in the in the late eighties.
1: Well, you see those three names you mentioned. I mean, they, they made a lot of money elsewhere. I mean, and I think they for did. those of you that are like, who are the sheep herders? Like, oh, uh, the, yes, the Bushwhackers. Right. No, it's good. Because uh, I don't think anybody who grew up in the 80s watching the Bushwhackers in the WWF, these fun-loving, they'd lick people. They were acting, you know, they they were kind of well, mostly Bloodiest. there for entertainment. One of the most vicious, bloody, vicious before that.
0: Gorious matches. Tag team matches were between the Sheepherders and the Midnight Express, the Sheepherders and the Fabulous Ones, you know, just absolute bloodbath, bloodbaths. They were bloodbaths. They were, and it's so weird thinking about where the Bushwhackers, you know, eventually came to be as yeah. this comedic act, because those guys were. They, I was afraid of them watching them on television.
1: Yeah, and then you watch I mean, anybody, like I said, anybody who didn't see that and they're like, what are you talking about? The Bushwhackers were like hilarious. <laughs> they are goofy. Like these like fuzzy yeah. kind of fun-loving.
0: No, go scary. back go back yeah. and watch because you'll see some stuff from them that was, it was, <laughs> it was downright scary.
1: Yeah, but scary, you know, it's scary. like that, 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 you know, like sometimes they didn't know what they had or like, you know, like, like yeah. Portland lost the, like Piper who we all know what he'd go on to be, but it's like, you know, AWA losing Hogan. It's like, you know, it's like if we, the players were there at certain points in time. but yeah. it's like the wrong, the, the, the right people weren't Like didn't, you know, it was a clay that the, that they needed the yeah. right sculptor to do well, something to put him in the stratosphere.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I mean, Hogan was in the WWF, right? Uh, how ironic is that? He, yeah, he's,
1: that's right. he's he wrestling
0: was. Hogan on, he's basically the second main event. Like he's, and he, and he beat Gorilla Monsoon and retired him. Like, right. like, I didn't know that yeah, until yeah, I was doing right. the research. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what? He, he did just, what? Around, like, yeah. He, and, I knew Freddie, he and Fla- Freddie Blassie were together, but I didn't know that Freddie Blassie threw this hissy fit and claimed that Andre cheated, right? It's just right. like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, so, I, yeah, I mean, you, you think about this and you, you go back and I don't know mm-hmm. but the 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 Roddy Piper sheepherder thing really caught me off guard because when I when I when I read about Portland through the year, I mean they were they were hot ticket items with Buddy Rose and then you know and then you you think about even Playboy Buddy Rose like you know the last kind of times we saw him wrestle were in the wow. AWA maybe even the WWF and he was a comedy act and he right. he was very serious a very serious competitor in the Portland area so. So just kind of interesting with that territory, just kind of seeing kind of what happened there. What other territories for you kind of stand out um, besides uh, Portland or NWA or WWF?
1: Well, I know something that you brought to my attention, and I guess we're kind of coming to the end of its run, but like this, this big time wrestling out of Detroit. Oh, Uh, yeah. I didn't really even know about them until we were doing our research but you just see i mean it's just it's an interesting story i mean they started like in the 40s and um it's like this harry light started them and he was like one of the co-founders of the nwa
0: i know wrestling
1: alliance but you know and then over time it's like the chic kind of the chic uh,
0: and this is not you know the iron chic this is like the the original Chic guy yeah
1: right in the 60s, he took over.
0: Who and, also, uh, by the way, was absolutely, he, he created hardcore.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And but, was it Sub-Sibu's is what, nephew? Or is that it, is, for I real, think it's his nephew. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, no. I think it the is. Actual nephew. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Um, but where the Sheik screwed up is he would, he started, like, money was not flowing correctly. No. And he was like going to towns and stiffing them on their money. And he was, he was the main event. So remember in the, you know, for you listening, like the territories, every territory had this ginormous figure and they were basically, in essence, like in charge of it. But, you know, whether it was the Von Ericks or Blanchards or Ganyas or McMahons or Crockett's or whatever, you know, and the Sheik was Detroit Wrestling. So he I, would main event matches, but he would then like he would just go in and do like a short two or three minute main event match. And people were like, what the heck? Like, so it just was going south fast.
1: He did. He did make sure that like there was an NWA U.S. Heavyweight Championship, <laughs> like a Detroit edition. Yes, and he made sure he was that champion twelve times. So, he did. Uh, he did. Yeah. There's, there's. You know, we <laughs> talk about Ro- we talk about Roman yeah.
0: Reigns and his yep. length. And I mean, you got can't forget about the Sheik and his twelve, Sheik time, and his
1: 12 champion. time champion. Twelve time champion. Yeah. Uh, but no, they had like two, three shows a week on TV in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies. They had, they did this. I, it was interesting. They did this weird thing where they would put local collegiate like wrestling interspersed with the pro matches like it was like like they never do that now but uh but no i I, don't
0: know they're signing nils now with 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 college kids, so, that's I mean, true. You may really see it emerge.
1: That line a little. Yeah, um, but no, I guess there's like a re- recession in the, in wrestling, as they kind of called it in the 70s. That like big time just really succumbed mm-hmm. to like a lot, where I think fan audiences are getting smaller. They were kind of getting bored with seeing the same old, same old. Maybe the chic had something to do with that by his like tired little like kind of going yeah. to the well too many times. But well, yeah, and but, also,
0: no, I yeah. mean, in the 80s, you know, with the economy wasn't the best. And we, we know that, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll foreshadow this, but mid South's greatest downfall was the, the crash of the oil business and the car business in Detroit also had its struggles in the eighties. And that also led to, you know, a lot of financial difficulties for the, for places like Detroit and their ability to actually, support its own wrestling became in jeopardy right well so much so that it folded yeah
1: 1980 our our year here that's what dovetails this all together here is that 80 is when they fell and it created a bit of a vacuum in the, De- the Detroit area, and uh, that, that the WWF made sure, among, you know, they filled in. And
0: yep. Uh, and then yeah. NW- NWA came from the Carolinas. They came sweeping in from into Ohio specifically. They really put a hard hardcore press on Ohio, and then that western side of PA um, was also. But another key ingredient that's kind of in a triangle of sorts of that is was Toronto, and Toronto was still operating. In fact, the Iron Sheik under the name of the Great Hassan Arab was their champion then in the Toronto region. But Toronto was in, in and of itself its own thing, and eventually that one starts to get wrestled with, and um, and where the relationship with Vince McMahon Sr. starts to grow and blossom more, and that becomes an area that eventually becomes a hotbed for the wwf right on but at the time detroit had some connections there there was some cross collaboration going on uh between those so but yeah
1: um well and it's fun i mean like you know we've done this before with like you just like you mentioned like like probably a lot of people listening to this that never heard of big time wrestling either but just a quick mention of some of the names that went through there and yeah, like abdullah the butcher bobo brazil uh dick the Bruiser, um, Gino Hernandez, both funks, Terry and Dory, uh, Killer Kowalski, who modern fans um, that's who that's who trained Triple H. Yep. Uh, Ernie Ladd, Dusty Rhodes, uh, George the Animal Steel, Johnny yeah. Valentine. George yeah.
0: Steele, George Steele pretty much got his start there. I mean, he was yeah. a school te- school teacher in Detroit, remember? And yeah, and it you know, later on he he would then um be loaned out to the WWF on weekends during the summer as this crazy demonic heel. And then would go back and teach school in Detroit and then probably and work their shows, you know, during the school year. So
1: another guy, another, another guy that a different era I'll remember as this fun, loving comedic character, but but not, yeah. Not to mention he, he played a, you know, a rather simple minded guy in the WWF, but he's a teacher. He's a smart dude.
0: Unbelievably intelligent. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think big time wrestling used that name and branded itself. And it kind of was a little, it was also found in the Dallas and Texas area. Right. And they used big time wrestling as this umbrella for both the Detroit area, but also down in Texas. And, and yes, you're right. Um, This is the cusp now of, of when Texas becomes a really strong player in the territory game. I mean, a lot of the Von Eriks were being loaned up to St. Louis to get attention, but you'll come to, we'll come to see in 81, 82, 83, 84, the emergence of world class. But right now it's all known as big time wrestling out of Houston or big time wrestling out of Detroit, big time wrestling out of Dallas. Well, the Detroit part is the one that, that went under the others then started to, and whos who, is, who who were the big players down in Texas at this point I mean you couldn't you can't go much longer without talking about Gino Hernandez like maybe yep. Gino Hernandez was was huge in Houston huge in Dallas uh you know um and we'll cover him later on uh sadly we'll cover him later on but you want to talk about um an unbelievable heel character uh gino hernandez was the first one to really give you that i'm a pretty boy bad guy and don't have time for you peon kind of kind of characters and he, he just was he was rock solid
1: yeah no for sure i mean yeah even there's some, been some great documentaries about him um save that for a different day but yeah
0: he was well i guess steve as we kind of wrap up the show this week for the 19 or this this time with the 1980s and you know i, I just kind of want i'm, I'm kind of looking back on my notes and you know i look at i look at january and i see you know the zabisco beginnings um you know Bockwinkel is a champion harley race the samoans were big um sergeant slaughter in the awa um and then you get into february and uh, they start to have one of their you know their big big shows in Florida called star Wars and it was dusty, dusty over race in a cage and remembering that this was the beginning of the empire strikes back. So we're in the height of the star Wars, you know, um, you know, how they
1: get away with calling it that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, some other highlights in like in March, for instance, uh, you know, um, Backlund and Patera and Zabisco and San Martino are really in the height of some of their battles. Um, you, it, another really really fascinating uh, tag team emerges during this period of time, and that's the Fabulous Freebirds, and they begin the. This is their beginnings, Um, and they are the first team to ever pull the. Well, there's three of us, but there's only two of us and we're going to switch around who wrestles when and so they And a, and
1: in 2023 as we're recording this the freebird rule is still a thing. It's the freebird free rule is it's still a still thing. still
0: referred to as the freebird rule. Started in 1980 when they yes. when they won their first, you know, classic uh NWA uh they won the Mid-South Tag Team Championship. Uh another another interesting thing for for those listening that I think would be a really great YouTube um, exploration is in March 28th in Tupelo, Miss, Mississippi, um, there was a classic, uh, in the Jerry Jarrett area, a classic, um, concession stand brawl. This is the second one. Now the first one was, um, was, uh, the first one was iconic a year earlier in 1979. This one was then the second uh, concession stand brawl, and it's a very, very pivotal um Memphis territory, mid-south Jerry Jarrett kind of um angle. Uh, this one happens to be between um a young new tag team called the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, against the blonde bombers, Larry Latham and Wayne, Ferris,
1: the blonde bomber. At this point, not much darker hair.
0: Perhaps. Not much. Right. <laughs> and we will yeah, we, we will foreshadow, on. knowing that Wayne Ferris becomes the honky tonk
1: man. honky talk man. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. So uh, April was a pretty quiet month. You know, May. Meh. You know, some things. Jul- June, July, August. Wow. Really, just. A hotbed, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got the Comiskey Park show, 12,000 people there. Um, you got a Superdome show in mid-south in August, 26,000 people there. That, that also was a huge. You want to talk about a heat magnet? The famous JYD Michael Hayes incident was where Hayes blinded JYD and they they took kayfabe so seriously that even when jyd went out into into the public he acted as if he was blind i mean yeah isn't that crazy but it was hot i mean like white hot this this angle so if you ever want to youtube some of those kind of episodes i would and you're a huge junkie like us about history of wrestling the 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 the, the feud culminates in the in the Superdome extravaganza in front of 26,000 people on August 2nd in a, what's called in a cage and a dog collar match. So in essence, Jay White, he's blinded and then he gets hooked to a cage And then, so they decide to hook him by dog collar and he, and he takes it out on Michael Hayes and finally gets revenge. Um, but, but that is, uh, you want to talk about just a huge feud uh, for mid South money. They were printing money with that feud.
1: Well, and it's just funny again. I, I feel like it's a common theme of this show now as we're talking to maybe some younger, like, or or even our era fans, who remember some of these people from the WWF, like Junkyard Dog, he, Upper Mid Carter when he was in the WWF, like his later years yeah. in the WWF. He, he he wasn't a jobber, but you know, and he had some notable feuds. Um, Jim Duggan, I mean, just, or, just I'm just picking up Ted some names here. Ted DiBiase, Paul Paul, yeah, these guys that were just. Or uh, The Natural, Butch Reed. Like, in other territories, before their kind of mainstream run in WWF, they were huge draws and, like, in these epic feuds. Yeah.
0: Epic. I mean, the the Mid-South Territory, um, where Bill Watts was, you know, this was just—I mean, they were off the charts. In fact, uh, when I was doing research for the show, they— I started to, to look at some of those old episodes to see if I could chog my memory. They only have 1981 on Peacock. So we'll foreshadow next, next year and next show. I saw the very first um, of many installments, much later of the Persian clubs that iron Sheik used to have. Oh my God. Yes. And he would, And it was classic, right? He always would do them X number of times. And then the other guy would outshine him and then he would beat (laughs) him up. I mean, but do you know who he did this with in mid South? Precious Paul Ellering, who was jacked. I mean, oh, that dude was ripped. Yeah. Ripped. And he was like, Hey daddy. And he was, he acted like this complete, um almost kind of like a cross between uh the old Mick Foley stinger like hey big daddy it's Paul Ellering, and I can do these you know it was so crazy but Steve Jacked the dude was a a brick like it was unbelievable
1: and, and again so... and then, yeah let's just keep going with our theme there most people remember him as the manager of the the um Road Warriors the Legion absolutely. of Doom absolutely like he was a jacked wrestler in his own right
0: yeah so a couple other things before we end that i think are really cool on 1980 and then you know we can kind of each do a little bit of a wrap-up but um the think about this the this this one in in uh, november uh on 20 on the 27th at the omni um where the nwa did two shows one in greensboro for 12,000 omni and 16,000. now remember starcade hasn't started yet but there was a guy on, um, on there was a match on the show in the Omni. It was one of their more main event matches, which was the Fabulous Freebirds over a team of Robert Fuller, who we know, and a guy by the name of Stan Frazier. Now, that name probably doesn't ring a bell to you at all, does not it?
1: Not really. No, not Stan Frazier. I feel like it should, but it doesn't.
0: Well, it shouldn't because it really doesn't, isn't who it is. He came. we, we come to know who Stan Frazier is much later in an iconic Saturday uh, night's main event wedding scene in the eighties as uncle Elmer.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Wow. I was shocked. <laughs> I read this and I'm like, oh my gosh. I thought when we saw him on Saturday Night's event and like, emerged huh. that that was kind of his first thing. Oh, no. He was wrestling no, back in is, the 1980 yeah, like, NWA. Yeah. Definitely not there. Uncle Elmer back then. No. But yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Recurring theme here.
0: Uh, it, so we talked about this, but. This is another cool thing. I mean, I just think it's cool about the eighties, but so Jerry Jarrett, December 4th runs a house show in Linville, Indiana, Linville, Indiana has the population of 550 people and the card of top build uh, with the main event of Tommy rich and Jimmy valiant brings in 1250 people to their town for the main event. So they draw uh, almost double the amount of the actual people in the town Yeah. I mean, talk about just, and, um, two last things for me. Um, so Jerry Lawler, right. Um, we talked a little bit about the impact of these kind of iconic stars. Jerry Lawler, obviously we know was the King literally and figuratively of the Memphis territory throughout all of 1980, Memphis was hurting pretty bad because Jerry Lawler had broken his leg. And was out most of 1980, and the impact. I mean, this is just shows you the significance of a of the star of a star back back in those days. House shows are their weekly shows, which was their house show. They would run, you know, weekly in in Memphis and and everything. Was drawing between 3,700 and 4,000 when Lawler was out. When Lawler returned, attendance jumped right back up to 11,000. So, just think about how much money. Was lost during that period of time for a territory like Memphis when their greatest star was out.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, but that was, yeah. Injuries can happen. Yeah.
0: One last thing that I want to bring up uh, about 1980 for me December 7th was the formation of a tag team uh, that was, they originally were billed as cousins, Dennis Condry and Randy Rose, and the formation of the Midnight Express began. It actually was a trio that then got converted to a duo, and then we'll talk about them more, I'm sure, in eighty one, eighty two, you know, etc.
1: Quite simply, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And for those of you modern wrestling fans, you can see the homage to them with the, with FTR, mm-hmm. and even their music is. Um, yep. Uh, you know, like a kind of a play off of it. So. so
0: yeah. Iconic I mean, you... stars. Who was born in the eighties? Iconic. Well.
1: Yeah, I mean, these are some subtle names that maybe a couple of you might have heard of, but a gentleman by the name of Cesaro was born in
0: 1980.
1: 1980. Um, a uh, young lady by the name of Beth Phoenix. Slightly follows a long Follows a long line of family members that were in wrestling. Randy Orton yep. was born that year. So it's just crazy. It's like, not only have we just spent an hour and over an hour, almost an hour and a half talking about just, some things that were big about 1980, but there were some big names that would like mm-hmm. nowadays are still major players.
0: Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler. Dolph yeah. That's crazy to think about that. They were born then.
1: Yeah. And
0: not where they are today.
1: Dolph Ziggler, um, fellow uh, Kent state alum.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you love Go, those flashes. Those
1: flashes! Don't don't yeah.
0: Well, I think this was a pretty awesome. It was awesome for me. I hope it was awesome for you, but what, what are your, some of your final thoughts as we kick kick out 1980 and start to think about 1981.
1: I mean, honestly, I'm going to just say what I said at the beginning here. I just, what I love about pro wrestling and how like, you know, we're two guys that have grown up with it and how we can sit there and pick a year and just have so much to talk about. And it's like, you can do it again with 81, you could do it with 82. I mean, we could go, and it's just so much going on. It's such an interesting, like for people that don't watch wrestling, and you know we've all encountered them where they think where it's lowbrow, like well, how can people like you that are well educated yeah. and they you know successful like watch wrestling? Like I just there's such a uniqueness to it. It's like the territories, these big names, these feuds. How much you know drawing twice the uh, the uh, population of a city? It's like yeah. wrestling. There's there's nothing like it. And even now no. it's different. It's different. I mean some of these moments are long gone and won't be the same again. But it's still as we sit here. 23 years after the year we're talking about right now, it's still a major player on cable television and internationally, yeah. and it's just, it's such an interesting thing, that's why, you know, there's podcasts like ours about it.
0: Yeah, well, and as much as all things have changed, they do remain the same, as I was um, very fortunate to see to be in attendance uh for aew's very first house show and i can tell you it was as true to form of an old school house show as i have ever seen the storytelling the the match makeups the um the the playing to the crowd the the classic referee turning his back on the count things you don't see on television anymore because quite frankly steve they they are all about and and this isn't and this is not being mean or anything. It's just, it's a spot fest and it's all this and it's timed. I saw a pure house show and I got to see Jeff Jarrett in his glory doing classic house show things. And I got to be honest with you, as much as I think about and get disappointed sometimes in what the future of wrestling is kind of, that gave me hope that still in the dark spaces of wrestling, are true house shows. And my brother went to a WWE house show. And you know what? He honestly kind of said the same thing when the lights are off those wrestlers that we kind of complain about and the way they run their matches and all the crappy storyline, and all this stuff. When we see that, when they, when they're in their own element of a house show and the, and the cameras are off and they can just be themselves, they are still wrestling just like these guys did in 1980.
1: Well, I got two very quick thoughts on that one our boy, Jeff Jarrett is not only, he wasn't only wrestling on your show and like doing all the classic things, but I believe he's in charge of house shows.
0: He is in fact, so I mean, he's, he's living there. There was him QT Marshall and I'm going to draw a blank on his name, but there was another guy who's an old WWF, um, back, backstage, um, person. He was, he has all red hair and red beard, but he, he and QT had a match actually at the house show, but, and people were asking me, like, why do you think these guys are here? And I'm like, because they're here for more than one reason. Like, yeah. they're here, and they were wrestling against younger talent and just teaching them. Like, Hook, Hook had a long match with Ethan Page. You know, we don't see Hook wrestle more than a couple of minutes, but you could tell Hook was struggling, but he needed that match. He needs house exactly. show matches. He needs to be in a crowd where Ethan page is being, he is one of the best live heels that's going right now. So easy heat. He, he's great, but yeah, I mean, but those guys are, or not only are they, they're wrestling, right. But they're working with these guys and, and they're really paying it forward. It's pretty awesome.
1: Well, and I think that'll improve the product overall. And I think, yeah, my last point on that too, is that, raw smackdown dynamite rampage they serve more masters than just you and i yeah, watching at home exactly they serve advertisers they serve all these things yeah. in their little time box these shows on the road where there's no cameras or or if there are cameras they're not going live on
0: TV. yeah they were um, taping they were, they were taping, taping things it. for for lots Other, of different reasons
1: yeah. but uh and it could well be that reality show they got going on but anyway um yeah. It gives, it's, it's just only helps the product. Cause one, it gives fans kind of that just unfiltered fun. It yes. It's the hooks of the world to get a little, you know, get the rust or get the, get a little more experience. It's, it's so great. I'm glad that they're doing that. I'm glad you got go. I
0: got to I gotta be honest with you, Steve. I, I, I've had, I've been to a, a quite a few shows, you know, over this last year, most of them have been TV shows. This, th- those, I was, it was a three hour show it started right at seven There was a classic intermission, (laughs) classic intermission, and then it ended right at 10 o'clock. I got to tell you, Steve, it was one of the, one of the best, best three hours I've had in a long time. You just, just got lost and you literally got lost because they, they were all telling really good stories. And you know, the other trick, the other thing that I think was really important to note, all of the guys that were on that show have had a long history in independence they weren't they aren't guys who only grew up in like spotlight television or in wwe stuff like where it was all you know sports entertainment every single one of these guys from moxley cesaro big big bill lee moriarty qt marshall ruby soho Britt baker all of the ones that were on that show steve darby allen um uh, it was you know all those guys the butcher and the blade unbelievably awesome and the things they did you could tell they were doing things that they loved because right. it was so Again. different and yeah. it came off that way and it felt that way so, oh, so although happy. we've although we've killed the 1980s i think we're going to look forward to 1981 but more importantly it's so great to spend some time with you and reminisce uh, like like always yes well thanks for thanks for this week and uh or this episode and i am I'm, I'm looking forward the next one is 1981 we got to get ready for it
1: that's right wrestling fans next up 1981
0: all right have a great night thank you
1: thanks.